everyone. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your podcast to help you live an authentic, healthy life. Every two weeks, I have an awesome conversation with an ordinary person leading an extraordinary life. And my conversation today with Paul O'Brien is no exception. Paul happens to be an old friend who is a successful entrepreneur. He developed the world's largest online astrology service out of his basement. You may remember my first conversation with Paul around his first book, Great Decisions, Perfect Timing, which is podcast episode number 12. His newest book is Intuitive Intelligence. What happens when a vision of creative freedom, courageous risk-taking, and good timing come together? How do we make better decisions with better timing? Hmm, interesting questions. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm doing fine, Janine. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on again. Um, I love your writing. It's, I find it to be very easy to read. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I try to avoid the 50 cent words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how about let's start with, so because we've had your background and everything on our previous podcast, so if people want to get that, they can go back to podcast episode number 12. So what does happen when a vision of creative freedom, courageous risk-taking, and good timing come together? Boy, my PR agent is really a good writer, isn't she? <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> well, you know, it it takes it it also you know, it's all about a vision. In fact, I had my name of my company was Visionary Software. Mm-hmm. And and then it became Visionary Networks. And my um title in the business on my business card said Chief Visionary. <laughs> so it it all starts with a vision. And that that's a good place to start, but it takes a certain amount of of uh, courage to take the risks uh, necessary to manifest a vision. So basically, what I'm trying to help people do through this book, Intuitive Intelligence, is make better decisions in 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 the service of manifesting a vision. And so there's a lot of stuff in there about manifestation and about how to uh, come up with a vision for yourself. Um, but it's really kind of a how-to book, even though it does have a bit of a memoir aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a step back then and what and start with what if somebody doesn't have a vision? Well, a vision, you know, a vision isn't worth anything unless it comes out of who you really are. And that's mm. one of the things I love about the name of your podcast. And um, And so it's got to be a reflection. It's got to be an outgrowth of of what naturally interests you, what I would dare say fascinates you. Okay. And I talk about that in the book. Self-knowledge is at the, at the core of everything. Uh, if you have a vision that's not based on who you are or what you are good at or what you love to do, that vision's not going to go anywhere. It might be uh, an engaging uh, daydream or fantasy, but you're not going to be able to manifest it unless it's truly an outgrowth of who you uh, really are. So there's a lot of material in the book on self-knowledge and uh, sort of trying to help people uh, pinpoint what what does uh, fascinate you? What does naturally interest you? And that's what the question that we need to answer in stage one of life. I, I divide life into three phases. Hmm, okay. What, what are those phases? 
Well, the first phase is the student phase. And I, I say it goes until you're 29 and a half. Basically, I'm going along with the Saturn cycle. You know, in astrology, we have this thing called the Saturn return, mm -hmm. which happens, you know, between 28 and a half and 29 and a half years old. Uh, when Saturn comes back to where it was when you were born in the context of your chart. And that's a, a, a marker um, and it's considered a very significant marker. Well, as old as we live to in these days, you know, we have two or three of these things. So I divide life into these 29 and a half year periods uh, and stage one goes until you're approximately 30. And it's, I call it the student stage. And that's where you learn uh, who you are, what you're good at and what you love to do. And how do you learn that? Well, according to O'Brien, you try stuff, you experiment, and you, uh, through trial and error, you discover what, what tickles your fancy, what, what grabs your interest, what, what inflames a little bit of passionate curiosity, um, what naturally fascinates you. Mm -hmm. A lot of people short circuit that, and you know, and they go to college and they, you know, they feel like they've got to become a success by the time they're 27 and, and become a millionaire by the time they're 30. And, and so they're choosing a major with this kind of goal in mind. And um, they go deeply into debt. Uh, and then they get a degree that's not necessarily related to what truly fascinates them. And maybe they don't even know what fascinates them because they haven't taken enough time jumping around and trying things. So I'm kind of counter, I'm kind of uh, counterculture on this. You know, I, I, I tell uh, young people to take risks and to try things and to job hop and to date around and to not feel like you have to declare a major in a career. Uh, it's going to, especially if it's going to put you deeply in debt, you don't have to declare anything when you're 19 years old. So, and in my case, I discovered two things that I was fascinated about uh, when I was college age. And one of them was the I Ching, mm -hmm. which is a divination system from China. And the other one was software uh, itself. And that was in the early 70s. And nobody knew what software was. But I had a friend who lived, I mean, who worked at a computer center. And he would develop software for this gigantic computer. So I was just totally fascinated with the concept of, of, of writing code and creating experiences. And I was fascinated by the I Ching. So those are two things that I actually came back to. 15 years later, and I developed the world's first I Ching software, mm -hmm. which was an inter intersection between two things that I was fascinated by. So you have to discover what fascinates you. Now, you can do this at any age of life. Self-discovery never ends. That's for sure. It's a, life it's a lifetime program. Um, and if you short-circuited it in your youth because your father wanted you to be a lawyer or whatever, you can go back to it and you can start to think, well, what? Was it that interested me? It just didn't seem practical at the time or whatever. But I think if you're going to have a vision that's going to take off and that's going to turn into something that you're going to be able to manifest something substantial from, uh, it's got to be based on what fascinates you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was reading recently that that, I mean, in your early 20s, I think your brain is still developing. It's not it, it's that's not right. done yet. So it's. Uh, Growing, I, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, how realistic is it to think that in your early 20s, you should know what you want to do? And and I think part of knowing what you want to do is knowing what you don't want. 
and you mm-hmm. and you're not going to know what you don't want until you have a variety of experiences. Right. Exactly. I mean, sometimes people I, I find that some people they don't know what they want. And I ask them, Well, what do you know what you don't want? And maybe that's a place to start, even though it's, you know, a negative, but um, that can be a place to start uh, realizing or, or discovering what it is you do want. Well, it's good to know what you don't want. But on the other hand, um, there's an old expression uh, uh, that goes like this. It said, most people can say, I don't know what I want, but I'm damn sure this isn't it. <laughs> and... <laughs> and that's not going to get you what ultimately to get what you want. You have to know what you want. But right. yeah, it's good to it's good to have boundaries and it's good to have guardrails uh, that are defined by what what you what you can't abide. And, right. And so, yeah. So okay. So let's say somebody's listening and they really they really do desire to have a vision for their life or something to move forward to something concrete, but they really just they just don't know. Um, either they haven't experienced yet what they feel they want, or maybe they have so many interests that they just don't know where to start. What might you say to them? Well, what's the problem? I mean, if they're enjoying their life and they have a lot of interests, uh, I mean, what, it, it's not like everybody has to be a visionary. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't think it's in the cards for most people to manifest uh, anything too spectacular or even manifest a job that they love. I mean, it's a wonderful thing if you can do work that you love and actually make a living at it and actually pay the rent. That's an incredibly, that's an incredible, miraculous gift that is not really meant for everybody. There's a lot of people who take great satisfaction in having a stable life and raising a family and not doing anything um, you know, spectacularly noteworthy, but it's all, it's warm and cozy and, and it's fulfilling. And that's a beautiful thing. So like in Buddhism, they have this concept called right livelihood and Mm -hmm. people misunderstand what that means. People think right livelihood means, you know, finding the work that you love and don't doing anything that you don't love to do. That's not what it means. Right livelihood in Buddhism means simply making a living, doing something that doesn't bring harm to yourself or to others or to the planet. That's right livelihood. You could be a janitor and have right livelihood and actually be doing a really good service and making a lot of money. So I I think we have to be careful before we assume that everybody should have some grand vision and then we make people feel bad about who they are or where they're at in their life. Somebody who's 50 years old and who raised two kids and, 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 and those kids are healthy and, 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 um, you know, going places in their own lives. That that person has done a heroic thing. Mm-hmm. That person doesn't need to do another single thing for the rest of his or her life uh, if they don't want if they don't want to. So it really comes from inspiration. You know, you, you're not going to have a vision of some of doing something creative or grand unless you're inspired. And that's why I use the word fascination because that implies that you're inspired. So. You know, people can find what what most inspires them, but they don't really have to. Um, it's not mandatory to concoct a big vision. Uh, I sort of wrote the book. Uh, the subtitle of the book, Intuitive Intelligence, is make life changing decisions with perfect timing. Well, there's a lot of people who want to make a life changing decision 
And so they do need a vision for that. Like, for instance, they're having a midlife crisis or they're empty nesters. They could be in their 40s or 50s, whatever, um, and want to sort of like turn in a new direction. And it's hard to make those decisions. Those are the big decisions. And so you really have to have uh, bring a lot of intuitive intelligence to it. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about someone who uh, feels like they need a change in their life. It's not satisfying anymore. They feel like they need to go in another direction or do something different or contribute more or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah, so they want to con- they want to contribute. They want to have a meaningful life, and what they've been doing um, is uh, kind of getting old hat for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so where does, where do they start if they're not sure, if they don't have a vision yet for, they just know they need to do something different, um, before their life's over <laughs> and how, how do, where do they start? How do they, well, how do they, they know? Buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> Step one. Um, and, and, and they basically start by, um, you know, asking themselves some questions, probing their possible interests uh, and asking a good question I like to ask people is, OK, let's say that you won the lottery and you had you bought all the properties that you wanted, all the possessions. And you went on all of the ex- uh, exploratory adventures that you ever dreamed of. So now you, you've got enough money to live for the rest of your life without having to worry about financial stress. But you have this this desire to contribute, this mm-hmm. desire to create, this desire to give back. What would you do? Mm-hmm. And boy, that's a that's a really good question for all of us to ask each, ourselves and, and and say you don't have to make money. Uh, take money out of the equation. What would you do? Well, that's going to reveal something. You know, the the introspection that goes around a question like that, um, and that can tip a person off as to what might be a better um, lifestyle for them. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of people that they come into retirement age and, and there was something that they always wanted to do, but they were never able to do it. Like they were interested in landscaping or they were interested in pottery or they, they were interested in teaching children or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they, they find a way to do that. Um, in um, They call that the encore effect uh-huh. uh, yeah there's a book written on that the the encore stage of life and and so then they they move on to do something else that actually is more satisfying for their heart and their soul but it was something that they that they were always drawn to but never felt like they had enough time to do it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think that's um that's a really good point because so many people once they're you know the empty what is it empty nest right. syndrome and mm-hmm. people don't know what to do with themselves a lot of people don't and that that's always fascinated me because i'm like my gosh i have so many interests there's so many things i want to do how how do you not you know how, how do you not know what to do with yourself <laughs> well you got to pick one you, gotta, you know you have to focus you know unless you don't need to yeah it's 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 it's, it's a unique question for everybody and, you know, and I, so I have some, some exercises in the book to help people think it through and um, figure out what's natural for them. What, what are they interested in? What might they want to do next? Mm-hmm. 
And it's, and if they come up with something, how can they, um, you know, make the decision to go for it rather than just stay stuck doing what they were doing? Like in my story, I had a great job. I mean, it was high paying job, but it wasn't satisfying. And I didn't like the um, it was I was in high tech and it was very sterile and it really didn't uh, speak to my to my soul at mm. all. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of deadening, really. It was kind of robotic and I wasn't happy. But there were very few jobs like that available in Portland in the 80s. And I was very lucky to have one. I was the vice president of a company. I was making a lot of money, but I was so unhappy. And so then I decided to create this new kind of software around the I Ching, which was just a crazy business idea. I mean, it made no sense to anybody. And I couldn't uh, justify it. Everybody thought, all my peers thought I was nuts. <laughs> but And that's how I became an entrepreneur. But I was so in love with the idea of it that I just had to give it a chance knowing that I could go back to what I had been doing because I was in my 30s. I, I still needed to make a living. I was a single father. But, um, you know, I left money for meaning. Mm-hmm. Now, in my case, the money came anyway. It took 15 years but um, of just barely keeping it together and managing to survive. But after all of that, um, it coalesced into this uh, – big business and big internet business and, and, uh, and, and was making $10 million a year. So that, that's just such a, that's why it's a great story. It was, I was really encouraged to write, write about it. And, and my first, my last book, great decisions, perfect timing was that story. This intuitive intelligence has the story in there too. And, and a lot more stuff. So people get to a point where they're just, you know, tired or they're fed up or they're frustrated or they're, not feeling fulfillment doing what they're doing and they have you know uh, the um, the urge to do something different and they can make that work but it's not easy and that's what and that that takes intuitive intelligence you have to be led by the intuition logic can help but um, it's it's a tough decision to make and that's why I wanted to help people with that sort of thing mm-hmm Okay, so because I know a lot, actually, I know quite a few people who do have vision, but they're having, they're they're kind of stuck in 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 making it in manifesting that vision. Um, I know a lot of people who want to be of service, who you know want to do things to help others and the planet and animals, etc. But they're they're kind of stuck in actually being able to to make that a reality. So. How do you, how do you use your intuition uh, to make decisions? And let's talk about decisions. You know how how do you, you know if you're if you really want to move forward, but you're afraid of of making a bad decision, um, you know, and the whole idea of timing. I think timing. I've always felt you know everything is is in in good time. You know when the timing's right, things just seem to to flow. You, you know, you, you, you have this sense, this feeling that you're on the right path, even though you're not sure how it's going to end up or, <laughs> or why, but, but there's that intuition or that intuitive feeling or no, what would be better? That inner knowing for me that, uh-huh. that this is the direction I need to go in now. And I often don't know why. You know, there are ways to segue into 
uh, new vocations that are not all or nothing. In, in my case, I was working for a company that was pretty abusive and I just couldn't stand it. And I basically almost felt like I had to make a change. Um, and so I quit. But they talked me into staying around because even though they were mistreating me, they needed me. And when I quit, it kind of shocked them. So I did some consulting for them for a couple of years. But people can do things like if somebody has passion for animals or passion for the environment or, or something like that. I mean, there's volunteer things that they can start doing now. Mm -hmm. They don't have to let their ego run the show and think, well, I've got to do something really big. I, I know this is kind of the problem that a lot of us have, and I know I've had it too, and I am dealing with it right now. It's like, what do I do now? What's the next thing I should do? And how? what's the most meaningful thing I can do to help heal the planet, mm -hmm. to help support other people uh, in the process of their healing? What's the most, what's the, and, and then I'm thinking big, you know, I've got to do something big. I've got to do something bigger <laughs> than I did before. I've got to do something, you know, that's, and, and what is that about? You know, mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's kind of an ego thing. Yeah. Um, when I, uh, and I think just to use my story as a kind of a contrast, it wasn't really about ego. Making e Ching software wasn't really about ego. It was more about soul. It was more about love because I loved the I Ching. I had a reverence for it. And I was fascinated by the potential of multimedia software. And so I had this creative urge that was born of love. But if people are, you know, too consumed with wanting to get credit or wanting to get attention or wanting to get, um, you know, if, if they're doing it in order to compensate for their ego's deficiencies, or if they're doing it for ego reasons, that blocks intuition. And I talk about that in the book, mm -hmm. about how there, there's a funny thing I say in the book about decision-making, say, the stronger the feeling, the less trustworthy it is as a basis for decision-making. How so? Because the strong feelings, intuition doesn't show up as a strong feeling. Mm -hmm. It shows up as a subtle feeling. It's a very subtle instinct. It's, a, it's, a, it's dialing into a very fine frequency. The strong feelings are always uh, related to the ego. And they have to do with, you know, it could be on, on the one side, it could be fear and aversion, mm -hmm. you know, resistance, that kind of thing. On the other side, it could be uh, greed or craving or, you know, some kind of addictive desire. These are the strong feelings are always kind of a reaction to the ego's needs uh, to either have something be a certain way or to have something go away. And so that's, you know, when I tell people that, they really are surprised to hear it because people tend to think, well, if I have a strong feeling, I mean, that's, that's prime evidence that that's what I should be doing. You got to trust your feelings, right? True. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, feelings are, you know, good source of information. And if you have strong feelings, that's good information. But it doesn't mean you should let it be your guide. Got it. You can let it be, you can let the information help you better understand yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where, but people need to uh, go to a higher level of intelligence. I think intuitive intelligence is a higher level and it's more in alignment with the fourth chakra or the fifth chakra than the bottom three. So the strong feelings are coming out of the bottom three. They're coming out of security or the desire for pleasure and sensations or the desire for power. 
mm-hmm. or the fear of losing power, the fear of losing pleasure, etc., or fear of losing security. So that's where the strong feelings come from. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what you're saying is the the lower three chakras, the root, the sacral, the solar plexus, are uh, more. Oh shoot! That's the realm of the ego. The ego. Okay. And that's okay. That, that's not bad, but it gets bad if it, what the problem is is if the ego gets stuck, or you get stuck on one of those levels. And so what I'm saying is. If you're going to do something out of love, which is taking it up a notch, mm-hmm. going up to the fourth level, and that's where the soul realm begins. This is just my own metaphysics. I'm kind of making this up, but it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And the fifth, the sixth, and seventh chakras are the realm of the soul. And the bottom three are the realm of the ego. And then in the middle, you've got the heart, which is kind of the bridge right. from the ego to the to the soul. Now, the ego is very important, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's it, it it's got a job to do. It's got to defend the boundaries. That's the security stuff. Mm-hmm. It's got to you know pay attention to pain signals and other things like that. And that's the sensations level. And then it's got to find its way in the world. It's got to deal with people. You know, that's the power of the influence level. It's all good stuff. It's all necessary. The ego's got a job to do. But when we let the ego run the show is when we get into trouble and we get very frustrated and we wonder, why are things not working for me? So the people who are wondering what they should do or what they could do, I would just say, do the thing you love to do the most and forget about outcomes. Forget about egoistic motivations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just do it. Just start doing it. Well, you don't need to... Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. So recently, I'm very strongly connected to animals and rescuing and, you know, I did wildlife rehab and all this. And I read an article about people who are homeless with pets and the, the, you know, the extra burden that that causes because a lot of shelters don't accept pets. You know, uh, it's hard for homeless people to get low income housing because landlords won't accept pets and just, you know, what happens, you know, when they're out on the street. And I just, that just kind of got my heart. And, and so I thought, what can I do? So I started making phone calls in the area where I live and there's only one shelter and they don't accept pets. And um, one of the things that I'm trying to do is see if I can raise money or just go ahead and buy them, buy crates, get crates, so that people who have pets can stay overnight in a shelter and their pet can be in a crate. Uh-huh. I, I took some blankets that I made, handmade. They took me hours and hours and hours um, that I crocheted and I took them to the SPCA and I asked them to give them to homeless people who have pets. The, mm-hmm. for, for the blankets for their for their pets to lie on, so they're lying on something warm, you know. And I I found out that that one of the things that would be helpful would be if a, a person ha- who has a pet, if the pet could be designated as an emotional support animal, even though here it's not uh, legally binding, whereas it is in a lot of places for a landlord to have to accept a person with a, an emotional support animal, but a landlord would be more inclined to rent to that person if the animal's an emotional support animal. So it's not like I'm doing a big, huge thing, but I felt like even if I'm making a difference for one or two people, it, it's worth it. Yeah, that's the spirit, Janine. That's beautiful. 
So I'd like to do more. I'd love to have a, you know, a, a, a rescue center or, you know, build a shelter where, where people can come and have their pets. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do a little something and it, it, ego wise, it makes me feel good about myself. And, um, and I'm, I'm hopefully making a difference in somebody's life. It sounds to me like you're coming from a hard space on that for sure. Um, and, you know, all you really can do is a little something. Let's say that you open three, three shelters. Big deal. How many shelters are there in Canada, you know, or, or United States? It's like thousands of them. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that's nothing compared to the big picture. But it's a little something that you did. So even if you just help a few people, you're doing something good in an area that you love. And I think what we do is our. this is where the ego comes in and says, oh, no, I got to do something big. And now I got to go out and raise money. And I got to dedicate my life to this um, because, you know, it's such a huge problem. And and um, and I think if we could just sort of like be content to do what we can do um, and not, you know, create a lot of um, unnecessary stress on ourselves because we're not doing enough, uh, I, we're, I think we're going to be a lot better off and more effective too, because you never know what's going to happen. You do some little thing and then you meet somebody who says, wow, that's really incredible. You know, I want to, I want to get involved with that or I want to invest in that or whatever. I mean, these things can kind of unfold organically Mm -hmm. and become a bigger thing. They're never going to take, you're never going to take over the world. You know, we, the problem, one of the problems we have is the celebrity culture. You know, we see, um, we're so exposed to the people who, are just like huge outliers. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, a billionaire at the age of 27. I mean, let's get serious. I mean, and there's so many young kids that think, oh, I got to do that too, or whatever. It's just crazy. I mean, that's like one in a zillion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, or, or I would say the same thing kind of applies to people who really love their job. Now, people who love their job don't love all of their job. They've right. got parts of their job they don't like at all. And everybody does. We all have a day job. You know, Britney Mm -hmm. Spears might enjoy performing and really, really love it. And that's the primary way she makes money. But she has to manage her managers. She's got five managers or whatever. She's got to manage those people. She's got to pay taxes. She's got to, you know, do all kinds of stuff and make tough decisions. You know, so there's parts of everybody's job that I call your day job. And I don't think we ever get away from that. We've always got a day job. And, and I think we need to honor that. And it's OK. We need to make a living. We need to pay the rent. And we're contributing, you know, whatever it is, what, whether you're a janitor or a nurse or whatever, you're contributing to the greater good by providing a needed service. And, you should, you know, we can be proud about that, even as we do things uh, add to that by doing things that we that we really uh, that we really love. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I, I think we just need to be a little more humble if we want to be happier, if we want to be more content. Well, I, you know, and I, the, you just have kind of things are spinning around in my mind right now. Um, I think part of it might be that, you know, if you're unhappy with what you're doing uh, right mm-hmm. now, part of, I think, what's necessary is to to get yourself to the point in whatever way that takes to be okay with where you're at. 
one of the things that I found with myself in in that was the fear that in being okay with the way things are right now, th- that that means then that I'm not I'm not working towards making a change. Right. You know, and and I you know I I had to work through that for myself. That that's not what that means. It means that I can be okay and not be suffering because of you know things that I don't like in my life right now and in being okay and kind of letting go of that I can still be working towards making a change. Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I I a long time ago I came up with a saying acceptance is the most powerful catalyst for change. Mm, I like that. Say that again. That's a that's a paradox. Acceptance mm-hmm. is the most powerful catalyst for change. It is because, a paradox, yeah. Because if we don't accept the way things are and we try to change things, we're in resistance. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, you know, making a bonsai tree, you know, we're we're contorting nature uh, and trying to get it to bend to our will as if we know what's best. You know, and, and if we just can learn to accept ourselves and unconditionally accept as best we can the conditions uh, that uh, we're dealing with, we're actually going to be more of a catalyst for change than if we're like, you know, being very willful and, and resistant and, 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 and things are going to change by themselves. You know, if you, if you try to persuade somebody like try to persuade a Trump voter, you know, I mean, <laughs> the more you try to persuade them, the more resistant they get. But if you just accept that there's a disagreement, then they're more and, and not make a big deal out of it. They're more likely to listen to you. I mean, that's just one prosaic example, but mm-hmm. um, the same thing applies across the board. If if we can accept ourselves, we're going to ch- we're, we're going to change. We can't help it. Everything's always changing. Nothing's permanent. That's the one thing and, you can count on. Yeah. So we're going to change, and other people are going to change too. But the idea is, if you can just be more uh, laid back about it, if you can be more less resistant and less forceful and just accept things the way they are, they're going to change. And they're going to change in a more natural way rather than in resistance to you or in resentment to you because you talked them into doing something or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've also found that when you're, you're wanting change, um, like I always talk about my quote unquote team up there that helps me. And rather than uh, focus on like the details or exactly how it's going to look, uh, because we don't know. I mean, there's so many factors that we don't even know about. Maybe people we haven't even met yet or, or, you know, situations that we don't even know anything about yet. And, and to allow ourselves to, relax into knowing that the timing will be right um, and the decisions, you know, that we make will move us forward and into right. what's right for us. That's a kind of a faith, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like knowing I, I, I just uh, was writing something the other day where it was going, I, it was kind of a, a, an affirmation prayer type thing I was writing. I was saying, I know that as long as I take the next step, the next good step, opportunities are going to arise that I can't even think of now. And the resources that I might need to go the next step after that 
will show up in their own good time. All I have to do is just take the next best step. And that's part of the intuitive decision-making process. And, and then you, and with some faith that what's, I don't have to think it all through. I don't have to have this grand plan. And because um, like you said, you don't know how the details are going to take shape. You don't know what's going to pop up. It's so interesting. In my life, so many synchronistic things have happened mm -hmm. as a result of me letting go of being in control. You know, it's like I created this do-it-yourself tarot card CD-ROM. And so, and I made a website to sell it. Well, I didn't really have a very good domain name. And I made the synchronicity software, which was the I Ching software. And people just loved it. And it was just so weird. Nobody really knew, very few people knew what it was in the beginning, but people who did, they just, it, it was really, they really loved it. And I never made a lot of money off of it, but there was this guy who owned the domain name tarot.com and he owned iching.com. And he came up to me in the late nineties and he said, uh, he, he found, he, he called me. I didn't know who he was. Or, and he said, I've got these domain names and I was wondering if you might want to buy them. Uh -huh. Here I am with an iching CD-ROM in a, tarot cd-rom and kind of a crummy domain name and i go whoa yeah sure i mean what what how did you find me he goes i'm an original synchronicity customer that was my I Ching program in 1989 he goes i've had it ever since it came out and he goes i really really like the way that you do things and i and and, and the uh and the spirit that you bring to it in the in the character and he said i've got dictionary.com and I'm going to make a business out of that. And I'm not really half as knowledgeable in the divination space as you are. So I wanted to give you a crack at it. And I cool. go, wow, that's amazing. And then, of course, he wanted a, a lot of money for it, <laughs> which I didn't have. And both of my both of my advisors said, no, it's too much money. He wanted $42,000 for it. Oh, my and God. That was, that was back in the 90s. And um and so then I said, oh, wow. Uh, I said, well, you like the way I've... He said he'd been offered 42000 for it. I said, well, you like the way that I operate. Would you be willing to give me a better price? And he goes, not really, or no. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, I don't want to, you know, I, I still, you know, would you be willing to let me... One last question, and I don't want it to be a deal killer. Would you be willing to um, let me pay it off and... 12 monthly payments. And he said, well, all right, I guess so. So that's how I got the domain name tarot.com. Well, that domain name is probably worth a million bucks now. Uh-huh. Wow. But of course, since it's been developed and everything. But um, anyway, that's how that came to me. I had so many things like that happen. Wow. After, you know, and it's all just because I was doing what something that I love to do and I was doing it in a way that showed the love. So if you do what you love to do, uh, you can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gets to my slogan that I, you know, usually end every interview with, which is take the risks that grow you. Mm -hmm. And those are the risks that are related to what you, to who you are mm -hmm. and to what you care about and what you love. Mm -hmm. and you can't lose. You can't lose because even if it doesn't work out on the material level, it, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. And you're going to you're going to be proud of the courage that you brought to it. True, true.
There is one topic though I'd like to I'd like to discuss before we end. And that is in using divination in making decisions. Because I know sometimes people will look at me like a lot of times I'll keep a pendulum in my purse and I'll, you know, I'll use it when I'm out, out and about. And, and I'll have, you know, people will look at me and I'll say, I'll say, well, you know, these two books, they both seem pretty interesting. They both are speaking to me, but I only want one book and I just don't know which one to buy. And I'll say, you know, all things being equal, I'm going to check with my pendulum and see what it says. And for me, and you might have a different take on this, if you are having difficulty making a decision, to me, it means, I, for me, I don't have the information I need yet. When I've got the information I need, the decision is easily made. And so very often, I will use my pendulum or I'll consult the tarot or the I Ching or some divination system to see if I can get more information to help me make a good decision. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's what it's for. So, yeah. So how, where does, where do you feel that divination, since you've, you know, you've, you've developed using the tarot in the I Ching online? Yeah, we have an I Ching app. We have an I Ching app now. Oh, it's cool. It's called the Visionary I Ching. Uh, it's very popular. It's doing very well. I think that divination is a way to stimulate your intuition. Mm-hmm. I define it as a way to stimulate your intuition to think outside the box around problems that logic can't handle. Now, if you're using it to decide which book to buy, okay, you can't go really go wrong. You're probably, I'm sure they're both very good books. And it's just, you know, flipping a coin. I suppose you could call that a form of divination. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of that. That, that sounds good. What uh, I, I look to it for is information, like you said, but not information of a predictive type, information of uh, that's going to help me think outside. It's going to stimulate my intuition to think outside the box. So in other words, I'm going to get one new idea or one new perspective or maybe two, you know, and that's all I expect to get out of it. I don't expect it to tell me what to do. I don't expect it to predict the future. I don't expect it to determine anything. I just want it to help open my mind to see beyond the ego's perspective because the ego thinks in black and white. Mm-hmm. And you know, and there's always more than two solutions to any problem. Mm. And the ego can't see that. The ego's, you know, it's black and white. It's yes or no. It's all or nothing. And, you know, sometimes there's a lot more going on than that. And, and, and divination systems don't give a damn about your ego. They don't care what answer you want. You know, they're basically <laughs> just, uh, you know, reflecting a situation, uh, especially one that's complex like the I Ching or tarot cards where there's a large set of archetypes behind it. And so there's lots of possibilities. Mm-hmm. And it can pretty much capture uh, most of the human dynamics that you're going to be concerned with. So, yeah, it just gives me another piece of information. I don't think I've ever made a significant decision in my entire adult life without consulting the I Ching or Tarot cards just to get another another data point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point, and I, I'm glad we're talking about this because I've I've come across people who are afraid to use those tools because they're afraid of what's going to come up or, uh, uh-huh. you know, instead of looking at it as just another 
another source of information, another, uh, uh, other ideas. Um, and like you said, getting you out of your ego and accessing something, something bigger, something different. Right. Well, they, most people think of uh, things like tarot cards as being fortune telling devices right. that are going to indicate the future and they, they're very attached to a positive outcome. And so they, they dread the idea that the tarot cards is going to tell them it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but that's just a misunderstanding of how divination works and what it's about, because tarot cards have been appropriated by psychics and gypsies mm-hmm. for a thousand years. And um, they they use it as a tool of the trade, but they're not necessarily using it correctly. They're using it to give themselves a little bit more authority. And I would say they're misrepresenting it because I don't think these things are fortune telling, are primarily for fortune telling. I think they're for giving you a reflection of a moment in time. It's like a mapping of a moment in time. That moment in time is right now, the moment when you choose the cards. And then they're giving you a mapping related to whatever you're concentrating on when you shuffled the cards and picked the cards. And that's a synchronicity. That's the coincidence that that card came up when you were thinking about X, Y, Z. That's a coincidence. That's a meaningful coincidence. You can't decipher the meaning unless you use your intuition. And that's where a tarot reader can come in because they know the archetypes, etc. But what most people don't realize is every one of those 78 archetypes, which is the 78 cards in tarot mm-hmm. or the 64 archetypes of the I Ching, which is the 64 hexagram. Every one of those archetypes is inside of you to begin with. They're all in there. And so all the tarot cards of the tarot card that you turn up, that's just calling forth. Uh, that's just, that's just stimulating your awareness of a part of your, of yourself as a part of, 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 of your uh, psychic makeup, if you will, mm-hmm. and calling that forth. And, and, and for some reason, that could be helpful for you in terms of of deciphering what's the best next move to make. So I see these tools as helping us decide what's the best next move to make, as well as um, when should I make it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not yep. fortune telling. So so people are afraid of it because they misunderstand it. Mm-hmm. And I also I I don't know if you would agree with this, but oh, in this. 70s i i read tarot cards as part of my way to make a living and and i would tell people you know if there's something quote unquote negative in the reading um it just means that that you need to do something different it, 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 like if everything is is positive and upbeat and then keep going in the direction you're going in you're doing things well but if if something negative comes up it means that you might want to look at that and maybe there's, you need to make a little change. Maybe you need to veer off in a different direction. Yeah. And on tarot.com, we would sell do it yourself tarot card readings for five or 10 bucks and people would pick their own cards using the mouse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what I would tell people is if you don't like your reading, just buy another one. <laughs> but that was the businessman in me. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> Although I have found that uh, I love this, the, like the, the synchronicity of uh, using various modalities, whether they're esoteric or more concrete, they all seem to, um, uh, what's the word I want? 
you know, they're not exactly the same, but they're coming from different angles. They're all pretty much will say the same thing. Right. Yeah. Because the human experience is universal. And these archetypes are universal too, even mm -hmm. though they have cultural um, differences. Mm -hmm. Where do the archetypes come from? You know, nobody knows. You know, that's the, um, you know, who decided that, you know, in astrology that Leo means this and that Scorpio means that, you know, who are those, who are those people that figured that out, mm -hmm. you know? And the same thing with the tarot cards. I mean, the tarot cards came, they think it came out of playing cards. It was originally a, a deck of playing cards and um and numerology was involved you know so numerology is about archetypes you know mm -hmm. the number one means unity the number two means duality etc and so you know the 10 of such and such means whatever 10 means and in the four you know is a little uh is a little harder aspect the square you know so um they're ancient they're ancient accretions of archetypal systems that have come to symbolize things and uh, but who figured it out I you know it's so old mm -hmm. that we just we just don't know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's part of what I like about it you know it's sort of like you if you go to the new age bookstore now you can buy you know 20 different divination decks you know warm fuzzy angel cards and you're going to get a really positive reading off of every single one of them and they're all you know this is from the age of marketing and etc you know and I don't put much stock in those but, um, you know, tarot cards, you know, they've got some dark ones in there. And that sort of aligns with what Carl Jung called the shadow. You know, we've got shadow. We've got, you know, uh, stuff to deal with uh, inside of us. You know, we've got a little devil in there. We've got a, a scapegoat. We've got all these different uh, things inside of us. It doesn't mean it's we've got then there's the death card and things are dying all the time. But then they're being reborn. So none of these are positive or negative they're just sort of energetic configurations and, and, and that's what i like about the uh, older divination systems uh tarot and I Ching, is they have a balanced set of archetypes it's not all warm fuzzy stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i would agree and and yeah a death card isn't necessarily negative it it could just mean it, that a change is happening that you're closing right. one door so that an, another door can open Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, this is, is, is there anything? Oh, so, um, how do you have a website or, uh, how can people yes. learn more about all of this? Well, we have a website divination.com. Okay. Easy to remember D I V I nation.com. And that represents all of our work, including my podcast and including, um, my written work and my, uh, visionary I Ching app and um, everything else we do. So, uh, and the intuitive intelligence book is linked to there. Uh, so, you know, for more information on the kind of things we've been talking about today, divination.com. Okay. And I would assume the app works on Android and iOS. That's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I, I know you're a Mac user, so. <laughs> it's got to <laughs> yeah, work on Mac. <laughs> yeah. It works on both. For okay. Sure. Great. And, um, and that's, and it's e cheap. Ah, it is. Yeah. It's like a lifetime of I Ching readings for seven or eight bucks. Oh, nice. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. It's just another labor of love, Janine. You know, it's like my, I run a nonprofit now, the Divination Foundation, 
and all I want to do is give back. Mm-hmm. You know, every everything I do, the book, the app, all the proceeds go to uh, the nonprofit and just continues the work. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Good job. Well, I'm lucky to be able to do that. Yeah. No, I, I understand that completely. That's cool. Well, I hope that uh, for people, I mean, everybody, we have decisions to make every day, right? Uh, we have, we start with making the decision to get up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that can and, be tough. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it is. And, um, and, you know, and some decisions are, are more, uh, how do I want to say, maybe just life-changing or important than others. And I think that uh, this conversation has hopefully given people some, you know, different ways to look at making decisions. And uh, hopefully will inspire people to have the courage uh, to move forward in something that they, you know, that they want to do, that maybe they're afraid to make a change in their life or, you know, to, to, make, to make that, that decision that means change for them. And, um, and hopefully this will help. And, you know, and don't be afraid to use divination systems to get more information, to, to give you some new ideas, to, to get your brain to think a little bit differently, to, to open that box. We're all in a box. Some are in, some are, people are in smaller boxes than others, but you know, the whole idea is to get yourself outside of that box and, and see a a broader perspective. Yeah. And there's a chapter on divination in the book. There's a lot of chapters in the book on how to channel archetypes and give yourself just a better understanding of how intuition works. So I hope people uh, get a lot out of it. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for writing the book and yeah, and helping people to make better, yeah, make better decisions. Well, thank you, Janine, for all you do. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Well, this has been a fun and informative conversation. I appreciate it, Paul. You got it. Hey, well, thank you and goodbye. All right, thanks. I gotta run. The podcast website is realjanine.com where you can listen to and download episodes and you can sign up for the informative Real Janine newsletter. And remember, once again, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. Please subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine through iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. And do you know anyone who can benefit from my conversation with Paul O'Brien? Someone who's trying to make an important decision in their life, perhaps? I know you do. Please share the love. I'd appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well. Be well.